Welcome to the Cranberry Chronicles, a podcast where we'll be discussing all things cranberries, including where they come from, why we love them, and how they love us back. We'll be delivering a fresh science perspective on health, wellness, and nutrition trends translated into a language we can all use. We're so excited to be sitting down with a variety of food, health, and industry experts for in-depth conversations that we hope will enhance the work you do and that it will also inspire you to live a healthier life. So whether you're a registered dietitian, a health professional, a wellness enthusiast, or just a cranberry connoisseur, we welcome you. I'm your host, Bonnie Taubdix. I'm thrilled to continue our conversation with our esteemed guest, Dr. W. Chris Winter, who is a neurologist and a sleep specialist. If you haven't listened to part one of our discussion, be sure to check it out. Our conversation will certainly keep you awake, even though we're sharing some solid tips to help you fall asleep. We also know that certain foods really help gut health. And that I know that there, just like sleep has now been connected to so many different things we never thought of before. Gut health is connected to so many things we haven't thought about before and how certain foods can actually really welcome a better environment for bacteria to grow and flourish. Like cranberries, for example, we've done podcasts with cra- about cranberries and really helping gut health and preventing infection. So tell me uh, your thoughts a little bit about gut health. And the connection. I remember reading something. It was a you know sort of a historical book or text or something about the discovery. I think, I think it was Neptune. It may have been Uranus. I can't Uranus. I can't remember. But what they said was they could look at stars and and other planets, and even though they never saw this planet, the way the other planets behaved made them know there's something out there with some sort of gravitational force that's affecting these other planets. So while we can't tell you where it is or what it looks like, there is another planet in our solar system. And then later on, they discovered it, not based upon seeing it, based upon looking at how everything else works. And when I think about gut health, that's how I think about it, is that when you talk to typical traditionally trained doctors like me, and I'm 50 years old, so I'm sort of becoming old guy doctor and not in the no modern new doctor. Do you know what I mean? Like, so just as a disclaimer to your viewers here, I try to keep up a lot, but you know, I think that the gut health situation is something we're all, we all believe in. You know, I think that everybody, I think you'd be a fool to think that all these, this gut flora is like, it has its own sort of, it's its own being within us. And it greatly influences all kinds of aspects in our health. And I'm sure it affects our sleep. I think that it's one of those things where just because we don't understand it fully doesn't mean it really doesn't exist. I think you're a fool to think that it that there's no connection there. So this is something that's going to be very prominent in research over the next decade and beyond where we start to really understand the interconnections between our own biome and these little visitors that live with us in our gut and how important those things are to our overall health. So Again, it goes back to great nutrition and doing all the things that we know support good gut health. And that really probably starts and ends with great nutrition and choosing the right things to eat. So, yeah. And I think that there also are connections between what is not recommended before bed and also not really recommended to help your gut, like alcohol, sugary foods, fatty foods, processed foods. There is that connection there where that will not help your gut and it won't help rock you to sleep either. 
you know, there's it's it's one of those investments. If you really start to go to reputable sources of of nutrition like this podcast and really think about simple things you can do to improve your health, I mean, way beyond sleep, you're going to get improvements in all kinds of things and probably save tremendous amounts of money in terms of medical bills and interactions with doctors. I'm a doctor. I'm an MD. Nobody wants to come see us, right? It's better if you don't. I tell patients all the time, I hope I never see you again. And I mean that in the best way possible, that you know, investing in your nutrition is probably one of the easiest ways outside of nutri- or exercise to really make changes that are going to meaningful impact your health and maybe your wallet. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's something that I have been talking about for more than 30 years. And I think that you know part of the problem, especially as someone who works with media, is that there's so much misunderstanding out there, even just talking about processed foods. And if you go to a farmer's market and you buy a carrot and you wash it, you peel it and you cut it, you just processed it. The word process <laughs> is not a bad word. It's foods that are really ultra processed. And even that definition, a lot of people don't even understand what that means. But we do know that foods that have a tremendous amount of saturated fat and sugar and sodium, that these are not um, not foods that are going to wind up being good for us in the long run. But of course, it also depends upon how much we eat. I have a few questions about non-food suggestions. I know that For me, as someone who writes, you mentioned the bedside, and I always think about how I keep a pad and a pen by my bedside. And I know when when I was writing columns, I would wake up in the middle of the night and just write incessantly, and it really helped me go to sleep. Or if there's something I'm thinking about, I just make a note. So I think that a simple pad and a pen, as opposed to your phone, is a good way to take a note during the night. But also exercise, and I know that you know so much about exercise. For some people, I know exercise is stimulating. For other people, it could help make them feel a little more tired. So maybe something like yoga and gentle stretching could be better. But what do you think about exercise before bed? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I love your answer. I, I think that it's personal. One thing that you have to sort of reconcile when it comes to sleep is what we think is beneficial or not can sometimes vary from what truly is. Meaning somebody says, look, I like to run 10 miles, shower and immediately go to bed it really doesn't affect my sleep at all. Or I like to drink a beer before I go to bed. It really doesn't affect my sleep. Maybe, maybe not. Meaning that what your perception is may be very different from your reality. And that's one of the things we struggle with sleep is that a patient is coming to you saying what they believe. Like I drink an entire six pack every night. And when I don't, it really messes up my sleep. How are you defining that? What, what What is your metric for that? It can be kind of problematic. So when it comes to exercise, you're probably better off exercising earlier than exercising later. However, that's sort of an ideal situation. Not everybody has the opportunity to exercise when they first wake up or doesn't feel great when they first wake up. So I would never tell a person not to exercise, but trying to introduce a little bit of space between the exercise and when you go to bed so you can cool down your heart rate can kind of drop and you can get more in the in the in the pattern of wanting to go to sleep because exercise is in a large part a stimulating event. I exercise in the evening as soon as my clinic's over. I have two little dogs and we go for a little two mile run every day and they're ready for it all the time. And I think that it's invaluable when I travel and I'm not able to do my run, I can feel it affect my sleep. So I always tell people, get it any way you can. And no matter when you're getting your exercise, whether it's the ideal time or not, there are things you can do to mitigate the problems that might come along with later exercise. But to me, 
you know, exercising on a schedule, you know, do you exercise at the same time every day? I think is really important. It becomes like an appointment with your brain. You get up at this time every day, you eat your breakfast at this time every day, you exercise at this time every day. So I really work very hard never to tell people you're exercising wrong. <laughs> like if you're exercising, you're ahead of the curve. So just keep doing it and we'll make little changes in terms of, hey, after your exercise, could you immediately take just like a quick cold shower? Or if you have one of those little cold tubs, maybe drop down in that afterwards to really cool your body down. So you begin the process of getting yourself ready to sleep. But you know, I think exercise in all of its shapes and sizes is great. And I'm a big, I'm kind of becoming a yoga convert. I I never would have done that growing up, but there's so many nice things about stretching and the mindfulness aspects of yoga. Even if you're doing it watching a video, like I'm watching what's her name, Aditi on on Peloton yoga or whatever in my basement or whatever. And, you know, I feel like she's not judging me when I can't touch my toes and all that good stuff. But I found that that has really made a big improvement in terms of my ability, not only to sleep, but get ready for sleep much more than I ever would have thought that it would. And, and so I'm just a fan of any kind of exercise that people are doing. And I think you're not allowed to complain about your sleep if you're not exercising. And that's my little pretend rule. Well, you know, what I what I love about so many things that you're saying is that you're not judging and you also kind of speak the same way that I practice and I have been practicing for years, which is personalization, that you have to really look at yourself and not just generalize what works for everybody might work, might work or not work for you. And speaking of personalization, personally, I am great at falling asleep. I am not great at staying asleep. And if I didn't own a clock or have windows that could give me a message, so many days at three o'clock in the morning, I could write a book. I could just get up and go do all this stuff. So I have tried many different things. The military method where you breathe in four and then, you know, that whole thing, feeling from your toes to your head and back. I have tried everything and on so many nights, it just doesn't work. So what about that? What about that for so many people who fall asleep but cannot stay asleep? I think there's a couple things that kind of go on with that. Number one, there's definite reasons for some people who say, I wake up a lot during the night. No trouble falling asleep, but just I'm constantly waking up. That can be a red flag to something being wrong with your sleep. So I, I think that if somebody truly feels like this is insane, you know, I'm waking up 30 times during the night and I just cannot maintain any sort of sense of unconsciousness. I think that's a very legitimate reason to to pick up the phone and call a sleep specialist and say, look, you maybe you need a sleep study. Your fitness tracker is telling you you're getting 20% quality sleep and 80% bad sleep, and you're waking up a lot during the night and you feel tired during the day. Get a sleep study. You know, I, I think that you're never going to be disappointed by that interaction. It may say, look, your sleep looks great, but at least you've gotten a piece of objective information there that, hey, my sleep isn't being affected by restless legs or sleep apnea or all these things that sneak into people's lives and can sit there wrecking your health for 10 years before somebody finally figures it out, particularly if you live by yourself. So I think that you know paying attention, that's important. If somebody says, look, it's more like, no, I feel pretty good during the day. I just wake up sometimes at three o'clock and can't get back to sleep. I think that acceptance becomes a huge tool in the toolbox, meaning 
why is it so important for you to get back to sleep? It becomes to some extent, I get halfway through my chicken sandwich at lunch and I'm full and I don't want to eat the rest of it. Do you have any tips or tricks for finishing the rest of that sandwich? I would say, sounds like you don't want it at this point. Maybe wrap it up and eat it later. Like, why are you worried about that? Well, Chris, I'm not interested in starving to death. Well, I don't think because you only eat half a chicken sandwich, you're anywhere near that point. But I think a lot of people, what happens is, they wake up and there's a fear that creeps in of, oh my goodness, I've got a lot of things I need to do today. And I read a report, if you don't get enough sleep, you get dementia and I have dementia in my family. So it becomes like trying to sleep when somebody's pointed a gun at you and saying, fall asleep in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to shoot you. Like that would be a very difficult situation to fall asleep in because you're putting yourself under certain pressure. I always tell people it's like, Sleep's like shooting free throws. You know, are you shooting them in an empty gym when nobody's looking? You just walked into a gym, found a basketball and said, oh, let me shoot some free throws. You'll probably make nine out of 10. But put the same individual on the same court with the same ball and the same iron hoop in the championship game. Make these two free throws. We win. If you miss either one, we lose. My guess is you won't even hit the rim in some cases because you've changed the psychological variable of I was just shooting for fun. Nothing, Nothing's on the line here to everything's on the line. So I think that you know, changing our relationship to, I mean, somebody said, what's the secret to great sleep? I'm like, the secret is being equally happy in bed awake as you are asleep and understanding that resting does a lot for our body. So you wake up at three, go to the bathroom, get back in bed, and 20 minutes later, you're still awake. Sure, you could go get your phone and start scrolling around or you close your eyes, meditate, do the, the practices that you were describing. You could plan out a dream vacation. You could think about the last episode of Succession and, and how you would have changed it and how it was unsatisfying to you that that Roman didn't take over the company. Like you, what, Whatever you want to. But if somebody says, look, I'm actually happy when I'm in bed awake because I personally am. I love being in bed awake. It's the only time nobody's bothering me or needs something from me or my kids aren't backing cars into telephone poles and blaming it on somebody else. Like it's just a peaceful, lovely time. So I'm either going to fall back to sleep or I'm not. I'm actually equally okay with both scenarios. And that's really the secret because insomnia is not an inability to sleep. It's a fear of an inability to sleep because the inability to sleep doesn't exist in nature. I'm laughing to myself here because I, I really do think that, you know, as feeling like I'm pretty compliant with a lot of the uh, just healthcare in general. I think that it really is the feeling like, oh no, I'm not getting enough sleep and therefore I'm not getting enough sleep. So, so I think that's really kind of funny. And, you know, they have all of these products on the market now to me. Sometimes I just think that marketing and the way that people name things like the melatonin supplements called back to sleep, stay asleep. If you wait, try this. It's a fear-based marketing, you know, that that's it relies on fear and edu- in some degree of education. Like, well, look, I know sleep's important and I'm not getting it because I sometimes wake up and can go right back to sleep. So yeah, every melatonin company out there is very aware of that. And it's funny because people like you come to the clinic and they're like, oh my God, I'm I'm dying here. And I look at this person like you sitting across from me, like, you're like the healthiest person I've seen in two weeks. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't take any medications. Your BMI is perfect. You exercise every day. You're a lovely person to be around. You look 30 years younger than what's on the piece of paper. Like, thank you. And you're worried, and you're worried about dying. Like, it, 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 something, something is gotten. So it's, it is an interesting sort of ploy that I, I really, and that's why I wrote my first book 
to really take the fear out of it. I've got a really good buddy who wrote an amazing book about sleep that if you're struggling with your sleep and read it will terrify you. Like it will not push you in the right direction. It makes you even more nervous about not falling asleep. And we really tried to create the opposite tone in our book of, hey, sleep's important, very important, but let's take ourselves off the edge of the hook here and and, and give ourselves, like you said, some grace and some latitude here that if you're thinking every night of sleep is going to be perfect, you're you're in for it. It's just like every meal is not perfect. Every exercise session at the yoga studio is not perfect. Sometimes you can hit the crow pose. Sometimes you cannot. You fall on your head, whatever. Like, just move on. You you got up and went to the studio. That's what's important, not necessarily what you did when you were there. Most importantly, I think that it, sleep is something that universally connects us, whether you are a doctor, a lawyer, or a cranberry farmer, or a dietitian, it doesn't matter. We know we all need sleep. It's just a matter of how much we get, the quality of the sleep that we get, and how it really impacts our lives. But there are some people that do need to consult with medical professionals. How do you know when this is something that that you need? And by the way, I'm not including myself because I actually do <laughs> sleep well on most nights. But really, for those who are listening who are unsure whether they should go see someone or not, how do you know? Well, I would say first and foremost, you know you better than any doctor will ever know you. So one of the things that always surprises me when I finally see the patient and have the thought, why has it taken you so long to get here because of all these things you're complaining about? There's often some sort of, there can be some obstruction there. I have patients who say, I've been talking to my primary care doctor about going to get a sleep study and they have not. So just keep in mind that the average primary care doctor has probably gotten an hour maybe two of sleep training, 25% have gotten none. So to sit there and talk to them about your sleep, you may be getting as much expertise as if you were talking to your golden doodle, like which is essentially zero. And that's why there's such a proliferation of sleep pills. Like that that's the go-to. Like you're having a sleep problem, I guess we just need to give you a sleeping pill, trazodone, L- L- Ambien, let's knock you out. You got commercials with you know Lindsey Vaughn and Tay Diggs. Oh, I was having trouble sleeping. I'm taking this pill now and everything's great. And that's rarely the solution to a problem. So trust yourself. If you're struggling with your sleep, insist on seeing a real sleep specialist, some real clinician with real expertise. I mean, the top seven complaints that a patient will take to their doctor, of those seven, two are, I can't fall asleep. And I struggle with excessive sleepiness or fatigue during the day. So two of the top seven complaints you'll see a doctor for are things they may have no experience or a real education in terms of treating. So just keeping that in mind that the two of you may share an expertise level, but you're always going to know yourself more. So don't don't set if a doctor is telling you no in terms of a referral to a sleep specialist, I would get another doctor. Like who would say no to that? And so I, I think that there's ne- I've never in my years of seeing people thought, wow, they really pulled the trigger on a sleep con- consultation way too early. It's always the opposite. Like, why have you struggled for so long? Why didn't you just come see me years ago when this all started? I mean, I've got patients who are adults who say, I have been a terrible sleeper since I was in high school. I've been dealing with this for decades. And we live in a culture where I think that if you are standing around the water cooler at work and said, man, I am just exhausted today, everybody's going to say, yeah, so am I. I'm exhausted too. Yep. 
we just live in an exhausted world, don't we? Like nobody would really bat an eye. If you were said, man, I've got blood coming out of my ear like crazy. They're going to take you to the doctor. But sleep is it's sort of a weird sort of, yeah, everybody's sleepy and you know, nothing you can do about it. And maybe you can go to bed earlier or whatever. Like there's just some, such a weird dialogue that surrounds that or take some pills or something. You know, that's what I do for my sleep. And so I think the bottom line is, you're never going to go see a sleep specialist too early. So if you're thinking about it and you're kind of on the fence, let me push you onto the other side of the fence, pick up the phone and call somebody who seems to to know what they're doing in your area. And I don't think you'd regret it. I think we have a lot in common in that respect too, where, you know, going to a doctor and then doctor referring you to a dietitian, same kind of thing, you know, as opposed to, well, just eat less or just eat more or just eat less of X, Y, Z, you know, those kind yeah. of blanket answers as opposed to looking at what really counts. I've never had a patient refer, that I referred to a nutritionist who came back and said, well, that was a waste of time. Never. It's like physical therapy and nutritionists, it's always mind-blowing to the patient because as much as we talk about these things, as much as I talk about, I'm not a nutrition expert. So why not spend an hour or a half hour with somebody who is? And I've got a good buddy who's a nutritionist. We talk about this all the time. I think nutrition experts and sleep experts share a lot in common that we talk about these topics a lot. We have a lot of people who think they're experts in it. These are wildly popular TikTok videos, but real expertise out there seeking it can really be a game changer for people. Yes. And most of all, you can't live without food or sleep. What is your favorite way to enjoy cranberries? Oh, that's a good question. So I'm, so there's a, there is a place in it's in Soho. It's a Chiobani. I don't know if you have sponsored, but anyway, it's a little restaurant that Chiobani runs. There's only a couple of them in the world, I think. And they make this yogurt bowl that is absolutely delicious. So I like, so I grow a lot of, of stuff in a garden and I, I think her herb gardens are so much fun because they're so useful. And so I like to have plain yogurt or maybe flavored with a little bit of honey, pistachios, cranberries or tart cherries, whichever one. I like both of them equally. Maybe a little bit of granola, fresh mint, maybe a couple little dark chocolate chips, just mainly for texture and a little bit of sweetness. And um, maybe, you know, there's little, the, the little, the little tiny oranges or I forget what they're called. Mandarin um, oranges. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few little pieces of mandarin orange on there. And, and I find that delicious. So I also do a lot of overnight oats. I like overnight oats, not only to start my day, but as a snack in the evening. That's one of the reasons I like tea and stuff, because a lot of times I'm just craving something in my mouth. And if I drink tea, I don't seek other things that are less healthy. But I do like overnight oats, not only in the morning, but in the evening. And I love putting things like cranberries in the overnight oats, maybe some turmeric milk, um, a couple little pieces of crystallized ginger and chop it up in there. Um, and then when when it's ready to be served, I put a couple... Um, uh, some walnuts on there, chia protein powder in it. I mean, I'd eat that constantly. Yeah, that's a great combo. Funny with overnight oats, I was once asked to write a recipe for overnight oats when they first became popular for a magazine. Yeah. And I made them in the morning and they, they never made it for overnight. I wound up having it in the late afternoon. It was good enough for me, but I do love cranberries in my in my oats and in my yogurt also. And I think that it's a great way to get sweetened yogurt without having yogurt that has a lot of sugar in it because most people don't realize that a lot of yogurts could be like candy in a container because it's so much sugar that's in there. So I think that especially dried cranberries offer such a nice taste of sweetness. 
I agree. And they have a lot, and a lot of them have a lot of you know, melatonin in them. And, and, and so there's a lot of things in the vitamin C you mentioned that support sleep. So yeah, it's, you got to make a lot of them because if you're going to have them for breakfast and I kind of struggle with my, cl- I exercise a ton, but my cholesterol isn't great. So I do eat a lot of oats just because I think that that might be helpful there. Um, you can tell me if it's not, but by the time it's like you said, if you have them in the morning and I always have them in the evening too, cause I like that snack, then you have none for the next morning. So I find myself making big quantities because family's dipping into them and whatnot. And then they're like, when you want them, they're not there. So yeah, I, I think that the cranberries really add a lot of uh, positivity to that. I agree. I agree. Well, Thank you so much for being on our show. I I could talk to you for another hour. So I really appreciated you being here. Um, Where can people find you? Where is the best people for people to find you if they're looking for you? Sure. So you can find me on social media. It's Dr. Chris Winter, like Dr. Chris Winter. It's all lowercase and run together on Twitter and Instagram. And I do have a TikTok. I'm not sure why, but it's on there. And the the best TikTok video is I was filming something for glasses that you could wear when you help fall asleep and the power went out my house and I kind of got upset about that. And so my, my daughter posted that on my TikTok and that's like the most popular video on there it has nothing to do with sleep. Just me getting upset that the power went out yet again in my house. I've written two books, the sleep solution, why your sleep's broken, how to fix it. And the rested child. Uh, they're both, uh, both available on Audible, Kindle, wherever you buy books, Amazon. And then my podcast is Sleep Unplugged with Dr. Chris Winter. We're about to hit our one-year anniversary, and that's been a delight to do that. We do a topic about sleep every week, and then the first topic the first topic of every month is always something related to insomnia. So that's been a lot of fun, too. And I got to say really quickly, growing up, my parents had a little cabin up in Green Bank, West Virginia, which is the only thing there is like this big radio observatory. But on the top of this mountain, I forget the name of it, were these cranberry bogs we used to go to. And it was just like going into an, you drive up this dirt path up to this place. And apparently it was a place where maybe a, uh, some Civil War soldiers camped for a period of time. I don't remember the whole story, but they're these natural cranberry bogs everywhere. And I just remember going to those as a kid thinking that was so cool. But anyway, that's my cranberry story. That is really cool. Thank you for that story. Sure. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you, Bonnie. Best of luck to you and sleep well. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Sponsored by the Cranberry Institute, it's a not-for-profit organization founded in 1951 to further the success of cranberry growers and the industry in the Americas through health, agricultural, and environmental stewardship research, as well as cranberry promotion and education. Thank you again so much for listening and for sharing your time with us. 